0: Welcome back everyone to another edition of the Why Marketing Podcast. I'm Rusty Pepper and on today's show we've got a special guest pinch hitting for Peter Horse, John Bailey. If you were a longtime listener, will know he was my very first guest. that was back in 2018.
1: Mm, I was gonna so, say three years ago, yeah.
0: Yeah, three or four, yeah, longer long ago. So John, welcome back to the co-hosting Steve.
1: I appreciate it. Always happy to pinch hit and good to talk to you again and excited to be back.
0: Well, we're glad you're able to help out. So, we got a good guest today. We've got Latney Conant from Six Sense talking with us. I think we're going to be diving into some really good conversations about demand generation and how their organization is able to help marketers achieve better results. So, Latney, welcome to the Y Marketing Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me on. And thanks for coming back from retirement, John.
1: <laughs>
0: I wish I could say I was retired.
2: Podcast <laughs> retirement.
0: It wasn't hard to get him back. He loves doing this, and uh, it was. It, we always had a lot of fun doing it. So, Latney, if you uh, before we get rolling, let's just do a quick speed round of questions. We always just have a couple of little icebreaker questions for you, and then we're going di- to dive into your background a little bit. Cool. So, the first two questions are going to be for you and John. He doesn't know what the questions are going to be either. And the third one's is going to be just for you. All right. Question one. What's your favorite scent?
2: I have a pine kind of Christmassy. That's the kind of scent I like.
0: Kind of a homey.
2: Yeah. But like the pine needly type Mm -hmm. Christmas tree scent. I
1: mean, I'm going to go seasonal just because it's pumpkin spice season. That's what I'm doing now, but I, I will have to go chocolate chip all the time. If I could fill my house with chocolate chip smell constantly, I'd be happy.
0: (laughs) Nothing beats like a warm chocolate chip cookie. Exactly. Totally. Can't say no to them. Next question If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be?
2: Tequila and soda with lime juice. (laughs) <laughs>
0: strong very strong first of
1: all that's my go-to so now i have a whole nother level of respect for you but and i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to my chicago days and i'm so happy that they're across the united states now rosati's pizza end the story right. so yeah yeah i love pizza
0: okay you guys are fun because you've got tequila soda lime juice you've got rosati's pizza not bad choices. That's all you have to live on for the rest of your life. So, well done. Now, this last question is just for you, Latney. What brand inspires you most, and why?
2: What brand inspires me most? So, I really like Nike. Just Do It. I just think that the way they made anyone feel like they could be a, an elite athlete, I loved. I, I love that.
0: That seems to be a very popular brand who's really inspired a lot of folks. I think the tagline "just do it" really lends itself to be able to do a lot of different campaigns and and reach to different demographics and and audiences.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that was a big like when we thought about our brand and our tagline, we took a lot of inspiration from that. So
0: that's good. It's also it's it's not overly complicated. Just do it. it it's
2: right. I mean, right.
0: Just freaking do it. Put
2: the shoes on, put the shirt on, let's go.
0: No excuses, let's go.
2: No excuses, I love it.
0: Maybe that's what it should be. Is no excuses, just do it. And I think a lot of goes actually translates to a lot of marketers too. I think sometimes they just need to do it. They need to stop thinking about it and trying to justify it. just go do it and beg for forgiveness. Now that's a question I'm asking both of you uh, as marketers. Do you think, is it better to just do it and beg for forgiveness or ask permission?
2: So when I first got to Sixth Sense, I, um, I tend to stay a long time at the places that I'm at. And when you've been somewhere a long time, then you have a certain amount of, I call it street cred. And then you don't have to ask anybody for anything because you've already built up the street cred. I, I came in new and I felt like, oh my God, I got to get all this consensus. And one of my friends, a good CMO friend of mine, Wendy Yale said, oh God, first of all, and it's mostly around brand stuff. Everyone thinks they have an opinion on brand and creative and and messaging. And
1: Everybody's an art director. (laughs)
2: Everybody's an art director. And to some degree, it's like grading poetry. And so what ends up happening is if you take everyone's opinion, you don't get just do it. You get we're in an athletic and leisure lifestyle that supports athletes and makes shoes. You know what I mean? It, like you don't get something cool. And so she said, first of all, never tell people that you're doing some big brand thing. Never. And she said, second of all, just say you're testing it on social. And so what I found is I, I like the more like sleeper cell approach where you get it out there. And then what ends up happening is people latch onto it and it becomes a thing and you never announced it. You never, it just all of a sudden became. And so I've found that that's the best approach to quote unquote launching things is not launching things, just almost letting it leak out. That's another good approach too, is being like, this isn't really approved. I'm going to let you use it because you're special, but it hasn't been approved yet. And don't show anybody else this. And then that, they're of course going to show every other sales rep because you told them not to. That's another good way to, I think, launch things.
0: So is that kind of your go-to for everything?
2: Is the sleeper cell? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> well, okay. that's, that's good. It's stealthy and it's like surprise and delight. The whole point is you want people to be surprised and, and engaged with whatever you're doing as a marketer. And, and that's how you build awareness. I yeah. But it. I
2: would say the biggest successes I've had have been the biggest risks and have been things that people told me not to do. Those are the things that have been the coolest and the most impactful. So what
0: was if a everyone's
2: examples? doing it, it's yeah. not that great anymore.
0: When you look back at some of the successes that you've had as a marketer, what were some of those really big swings that just paid off?
2: Oh, like we so when I first started at Sixth Sense, there's the there used to be in-person conference. So weird. Well, that's
0: like 2019.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So crazy. And we always did most of our demand gen and our pipeline at a conference called Serious Decision Summit, which doesn't exist anymore because they got bought by Forrester. But anywho. And we were like diamond sponsors and it locked in for 20 years in a row. So I walked into this diamond platinum booth, the size of a football field situation. And I was like, no one wants to go to a booth, like booths suck. And so I was like, I'm going to rent out the place across the street from the conference center and totally remake it. And so we took all the, it was this dive Mexican restaurant. And so we took everything out of it we rebuilt it and we made it like the coolest place to be. And everyone said, why would you do that? We've already paid for this huge sponsorship. We we're, we're we should just focus on the booth. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And it ended up being, that was like our breakout six cents moment was because we had huge, like walking into the conference center, you couldn't miss it. It was like huge six cents the line to get in was crazy. Like I had, we gave everyone these black cards. If, if you were on the VIP list and you had to have a black card to get in and we made it very, that was the other thing is they said, why can we only invite a hundred people? We have room for way more people. Great demand. I said, that's not what we're doing here. We're we, it's a hundred people and they can bring a guest and it's going to be amazing. And we want people to want to be on our list. You know, we want people to want to be part of our thing. And so that was like one, another one just recently with our funding, I said, I think we should do a concert, but let's do it hybrid because this is now COVID. And I said, I think, well, we're going to pipe in, we're going to have a live band but we're going to be with the band and then we're going to pipe in people from different places and it's going to feel almost like a news show. And it was a very complicated event to pull off AV wise. And everyone said, oh my God, why would people want it? This is not going to work. And it was like completely awesome. It was so much fun, great energy. And we launched the Tech revolution at that event. So I don't know. I think you just got to, I think that great marketing favors the bold. So
1: Your two examples, I think, are interesting, and that's going to lead to my question because I worked a long time ago. I worked for Red Bull when nobody knew what Red Bull was. And at the X Games, we had what we called an athlete house. So we took everybody away from the games. So similar to what you did with the Mexican restaurant, it it wasn't an exclusive party, but you had to know to find out and whether you thought that's where all the cool kids were hanging out but that ended up being the talk of the x games and conversations so that leads to me to my question is you're in a b2b world my primary background is b2c frankly all of it has been b2c but however tell me your thoughts on like the similarities between b2b no matter whether it's customer base that i have as customers or you have and consumer base because I've always just seen a lot of similarities in B2B to B2C. And you gave me two examples that I've done in my own world, in my version. So just like your perspective on the, you know, connection or differences
0: there.
2: I think most B2B marketing is really boring and awful.
0: Are you talking about what you're seeing other companies doing and how they're executing it?
2: Yeah. And even some of our own.
0: The (laughs) The strategy, the approach, the kind of the guardrails that are falsely put in place.
2: Self-imposed. I think there's been a lot of like self-imposed. I wrote a book called No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls, basically calling complete bullshit on all of B2B marketing. Because when you think about B2C, it's like all about, there's been study after study saying it's about the experience. It's about customer experience. And look at Amazon with Prime and, They sell the exact same products. You can get somewhere else. They've just made it like this amazing experience. And so there's been a million examples and studies about how that's what winning companies do. And then you come over to B2B and it's like the dark ages, right? It's like the systems were built in the 90s when email was like still a thing. And people were willing to give up their email for a piece of content. And like, that just doesn't, that's not a good value exchange anymore. There's enough content out there. There's too much content out there. Actually, Brent Adamson, I love that guy, but he just did a big study on how actually we've created all this conflicting information and all of our quote unquote thought leadership is actually preventing people from buy- from buying in B2B because they're, too nervous to make a bad decision and they get all this high quality content, but it's conflicting. And so I just feel like we've created a process that is, we're going to put a bunch of content out there in the hopes that people want to learn from us. When they go to want to learn from us, we're going to gate the content, which is going to probably send them away. So that's um. Then if they do end up putting in their email, they're either going to put a fake email in or they're going to put an email in knowing that we're going to spam them for the rest of their lives. And so then they're going to want to unsubscribe probably. And we're going to arbitrarily say, because they filled out a form and because they, we're now sending them emails, we think they're qualified. So yay, marketing, we're winning. And meanwhile, sales is having to pound the phones and make cold calls, which nobody likes either. And then we're disappointed in ourselves that we're not like making our numbers and and things like that. So I just think it's there's a real opportunity to reimagine B2B marketing in the context of how with a lot more empathy and a lot more thought about not just the person on the other side who has to make a decision, but the whole team of people that have to come together and make a decision. And some of these decisions might cost them their job, depending on the spectrum of what you sell. So I think we just have to be a lot. It's like the proverb about walking a mile in other people's shoes. And then looking backwards at, okay, what does that mean for our marketing and our selling approach? And that's what I wrote the book about essentially.
0: And so when you look at even your career and what you're doing at Sixth Sense and your team, how are y'all reimagining that entire cycle?
2: Well, we have a little bit of an unfair advantage in that we get to use our own solution. And, And that was another kind of thing for me is I think in B2B, there's like a lot of pontificators, thought leaders who haven't been in a seat, like actually doing it. And grind in and out, and I, I just vowed I never wanted to be that type of person. And so I said, well, if "Social one, media
0: has made it easier for those people to actually just anybody can be an
2: expert on anything." And oh, they, they said I could
0: I could host a podcast about, my <laughs> but, they, but they let me do it just because I I started. It. And but it, that just shows you really anybody can self proclaim anything.
2: Anybody can self proclaim anything, and so there's just a lot of fake news out there. So I was like, my first tenant of our marketing and selling approach is we're not going to advise or suggest something that we haven't tried ourselves and proven. And and so we basically set out to say, how do we use insights about customer journeys, about their behavior, real-time behavior, because that data is out there, There's lots of different forms. Intent data is a term that gets a little tossed around and can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. But if you start to understand all the different types of intent data and you start to bring that together, you can actually have a 360 degree view of a journey anonymous to known. So I don't need you to fill out a form. I know you've been on my website I know the content you've consumed. I know the content you've consumed. I know the content that another member of your buying team has consumed. I I can start to recognize patterns for other like buyers like you and see nine out of 10 times, this is where they are in their journey. And this is where they're going to get hung up. And this is where I need to provide help. And so when you start to like actually lean into using much AI, big data approach and and not guessing, and you start to see these journeys play out and you marry that with this approach I talked about being really empathetic and wanting to help them buy essentially, then all of a sudden you have a a completely different result. And what we see time and time again is much more predictable pipeline development Much better win rates, two times better win rates, much better conversions, much better ASPs. So that's been the most interesting thing about all of this is the actual, the size, the average deal size for people who embrace this approach. And we study our customers that do it. So every quarter we look at a random sampling of 100 plus customers to see, and we see Bigger deal sizes, faster cycle times, and better conversions and more predictable pipeline. And you know, it, it's playing out what B2C, back to your original question, which was about B2C. B2C pioneered customer experience using data, mapping a journey, using AI to predict. And the companies that did that well succeeded and profited and grew. And basically, that's what we're doing with B2B.
1: Are you, now I I currently work in an antiquated three-tiered selling system. It's just the way the business is, it's evolving, but at a snail's pace. Your current customer base, are you finding they are newer, more innovative, advanced technology type of organizations, or have you been able to convert some of those longstanding businesses that have been around for a long time and they are finally realizing that what you have to offer can help drive my sales from you know A to B or A to D.
2: So when I'm talking to someone that's self-proclaimed antiquated, my first question would be: Do you have children? Yes. Do you have teenagers?
1: Not anymore, adults.
2: When you had teenagers, would you let a ton of teenagers just be in your basement and not know they were there, or what they were doing, or if they were coming or going? Of course not. That would be very irresponsible. So now let's talk about your website. Do you think it would be equally irresponsible as a business leader to have tons of people coming to your website, coming and going, and not knowing they were on your website or what they were doing?
1: Absolutely not. That's
2: good analogy. So 98% of a B2B marketer's budget is spent to drive anonymous web traffic. <laughs>
1: okay. It's a great, it's a great example to somebody that is just potentially learning what you
2: do. And that's just one little small piece of what we do. But if I could just show you all of the people coming to your website and the accounts and if they were, and maybe give you an alert if a a top tier target was on your website.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great analogy because sure, I have 10,000 unique visitors a a day and I only convert one. Who cares if I get a hundred unique Visitors a day, and I convert ten. I'll take a hundred all day long. It does. It comes down to statistics, and who's the best person to speak to to actually generate my revenue? That makes sense.
2: Yeah, but the first step is just let's just show you, right? Let's just see, and then once we start to expose that, it's oh, that's interesting. That account, oh, that wow, this is, and then marketers and sellers are naturally curious people that want to win, and so when you just start to show them. The our tagline is know everything, do anything, know everything, do anything. So if I start to show you more and more, then you're like, oh, l- look at what I can do. And so that's where I would start with a more antiquated company. I wouldn't go into AI and journeys and how to run complex advertising plays and Trigger direct mails, call back, oh, and gosh, we we now have AI driven orchestration. So there's a lot of cool stuff, but you just start with something small, and then that usually gets people curious and starts the that value domino effect.
0: So we're actually a customer of Six Sense. We I love getting the reports. The hey, the alerts. Hey, this is what we're seeing. Now it was a learning curve. We didn't dial in our keywords. Quite enough. We had to start off with more generic, like for direct marketing, for instance. So it was one of those keywords, which is a, just a very broad.
2: Title. Right, right,
0: right. So then we learned, okay, we need to really dial it in. So we replace like direct marketing with direct mail postcards or direct mail right. letters, very specific, so that we know that when somebody actually trips on that, we get a more highly engaged and more likely prospect. Those were all things that we've had to learn and we're getting better as we go. So as companies are going through that maturation process and learning and incorporating these different tools, what are some of the different ways that you've seen that have been really helpful for those companies that are going that same journey that we are and we're experiencing to even get better and take it to the next level because it continues to evolve and it's not going to stop. So it's trying to figure out what does the future look like?
2: Like, like the example that you gave, we actually now have an AI keyword recommender, because we saw that right over and over again, it takes time for people to dial in their keywords. And the more that we can, we're supposed to be the AI ninjas. Why don't we start to look for patterns and recommend what their keywords should be? So that's just a small, like little thing, but the, but we're really trying to, for all those points where there's a difference between okay and great. How do we start to within our platform make recommendations to accelerate the journey? So that's a te- technical, like in in platform work that we're doing. And we've had, we had just had a major drop around like AI orchestration. So you give Sixth Sense a goal. So you tell Sixth Sense, hey, I, I want to, maybe you're not getting that many people to your website. That's step one. I want to get more accounts that are good accounts for me to my website. and you put that goal in and then six cents actually says, okay, these are the accounts, these are the contacts, these are the ad campaigns you should run and you just approve. So that's pretty huge, right in terms of gonna change we we think change the industry in a big way versus marketers guessing, If they come to my website, give them 10 points and then send them an email because I did that at a last company and seemed to work pretty good. You know I mean? That's what we do. So anyway, so these are some of the things. So that's one, I would say, avenue. The second avenue is we do, I I talk a lot about not selling. Like, I don't think we sell software. We happen to monetize software and that's what makes us a, a business. But I think ultimately what we sell is change. And we have a pretty interesting support model and investment model around that to make our customers successful because we do believe that ultimately we're selling change. And so I've talked about some of our thought leadership and how it's all like database things that we've proven ourselves, but we also have a whole like use case approach where we've taken every single marketing and seller that would like role that would use Six Sense and we've mapped out like the key use cases. And then we've mapped out what makes that use case successful. Like what are the KPIs associated with it? And then actually, our customer success professionals are compensated based on green use cases. So this is how many use cases not just are live, they have to be live. We need to see usage, so real product adoption, log, whatever the adoption is, but then the KPIs have to, is a customer to agree is yes, we're getting value given the KPIs. And so it's sort of like a trainer at the gym, right? Saying it's not just a membership, like we're putting that personal trainer on the shoulder to make sure that you're getting value out of and making the changes you need to make to get into shape. And then the last piece is around, and this this is probably, this is true of probably any SaaS-based business where it takes work. And so so I think like, and sales probably hates it when I say things like this, but like the technology is not a magic box, right? If your ads suck, if your ads take people to a landing page that sucks, there's only so much we can do. And so I I do, we've, Created some health checks to almost shine a light back on the customer and say, you're not really putting that much into this. Like just giving six cents the money for the platform. And so if no one on your team owns this platform, if no one's been to a user group and is tracking the new features that we're rolling out, if no one's been trained. So we have a scorecard that we actually give our customers to say, you got to lean in too. And our head of customer success is funny. He says, we don't want to be a bartender because you go into a bar and you're depressed and you're down. And the bartender says, all right, I'll give you another drink and listen to your problems. Like we want to be the personal trainer again, where you come in and you're like, I'm fat, I'm out of shape. And we're like, all right, 10 more pushups.
0: <laughs> Let's go. Yeah.
2: Let's go, and I think just that's what selling change is about, though. Is and it, and so that's just our approach.
0: I like that, and I want to double click into the one of the points you made about compensating your success team based on results with the client. You know what they're getting and putting a scorecard around that because I, I think I don't think enough. Companies are doing that and, and putting in incentivizing in the right way their team to make sure it's done on the, the metrics that matter most to the business, which is retention, retainment, and growth within it. Because as you've said, your software is helping businesses get better and to justify the expense that they're making in this. And yeah, so-
2: we have 128% retention rate, or doing something. Right. It's a lot of work though. So I would say if people want to do that, like the first thing is you have to really think through again the use cases and I. And then think about the use cases in terms of who is using them. And I know that seems like obvious, but. Here's why I say that, say it like that. Because if you, if a use case crosses multiple people and you say, Oh, here's something we should do, everyone thinks that you're talking to somebody else. And if you're a leader, you've, I'm sure you've experienced this where you've been on a team meeting and you're like, All right, guys, we should be doing more of this. And everyone's, yeah, Joe should get all over that. I don't know why Joe's not doing that. No one thinks it's them. <laughs> They're like, That's a great idea. Sally, Sally is. You should look into that training, Sally.
0: (laughs) Sally, you're gonna crush it.
2: Yeah, good luck. I'm really glad you're all over that.
1: I'd like a volunteer. Please raise a hand. Nobody goes like this.
2: Right. (laughs) Crosses her arms. And so doing so what we try to do is do the use cases by functional area. So this is for the digital marketer. This is for the demand gen marketer. This is for the BDR, right? Like for that person. So it's very clear. <laughs> the other thing that helps is with the customers, because they might say, you know what? We are just onboarding our digital marketer. Like they're not re- Let's focus on this. So it also helps us like chart with the customer where from an organizational perspective, we need to focus. And then a lot of times So that that was an important part of the formula. And the other important part of the formula is having the KPIs predefined because a lot of times people don't know what success looks like, right? So take a digital marketing use case. They might not know what the modern success metrics around a display campaign should look like, and they don't have the benchmarking data that we do around what a good view through rate should look like and what kind of web engagement they should see. So having the predefined KPIs also helps them understand, did they do a good job or not? And so that was, that, those are the building blocks of being able to, I think, move to the model I'm describing.
1: I, I, I'm curious because uh, when I was looking at the back, your background of the organization, I, I read a prior interview article. So this is a loaded question that I plagiarized from another article, but I think it's relevant considering what we're all dealing with now. And so the question was something around the big themes for 2018. And you mentioned people, perspective, and pace, which I thought was frankly brilliant. I, lo- I loved it. So I guess the question is 2022, as we approach 22, what are the, what are those big themes for you, your organization, your team, etc.? Um, are they the same?
2: They're not okay. They're not so. What I've been thinking about a lot is so, I've been doing a lot of wake surfing.
1: <laughs> okay, so I, I used to work in the boating industry, I worked for Mastercraft. So, go ahead.
2: Okay, okay, so, so I've been doing a lot of wake surfing and. The thing is that when you're in the wave, there's like this perfect feeling and you're going pretty fast and the, not as fast as water skiing, but you're, you're going at a decent clip and the boat can be going through all this chop, but you don't feel any of it. It's just like this quiet zone. Now, if you start to fall off the back of the wave, you essentially start to lose power. And so there's all these different tricks you can do to get back in. You can drop your back knee, you can pump really hard, you can lean your arms forward to get back into that like beautiful spot. But if you get too far behind, there's no it doesn't matter. You can pump, you can lean, you can do whatever you want and you literally it's the weirdest thing. You're out of you're out of out of power and you just like sink. Okay? And so I guess for me in thinking about our priorities like there's a zone of where of no going back where you're just going to sink and it doesn't matter how many more people you add how much more you spend like you're just you miss the pocket and and there's a delay like when you're out there so there's like a 2 second delay for every little move you make so If you get too behind, you're just going to sink and you're never going to catch up. And so not to be like overly dramatic, or but that's what I'm thinking about a lot, especially as a company that's doubling every single year, four years in a row, we've doubled and the base gets bigger and the base gets bigger. And so I think about that for us. And I think about it for, and I'm now thinking about it for our customers too, is I can help you pump I can help you lean. I can show you these tricks and I'm going to get you in that wave. But if you get too far behind, I can't do anything. That's great analogy. Yeah. And so that's, I, I haven't put it into something as articulate as people perspective and pace yet, but that's the main thing I'm thinking about is like, I don't want to get too far behind and just think. And so how do I make sure that we're every single day? doing all the little things right so that we're right in the pocket of that power zone of the wave.
0: So as a CMO, what are some of the different tactics that you're doing and how are you aligning your team to help achieve the fact that you're getting that perfect harmony?
2: We we're making a lot more investments in customer marketing. So my customer marketing team is probably going to be as big as my product marketing. So we're doing, we're making a lot of investments in customer marketing.
0: What's the intent behind that? What's driving that?
2: Yeah, so we did it. It's funny, we do these win-loss, I'm sure you guys do win-loss reviews, right? So we do these win-loss reviews and over and over again, like referrals, like people are like, that is working for us. And again, back to B2C, word of mouth, referral analysts will say, gosh, we talk. your customers are just fans. We're not sure they know what you do, whatever. And we don't mind not know what you do, but we, they love it. And it just seems like a great place to be. <laughs> and I'll take that. And so some of it is like, how do we continue and, and fan that flame? And, and then the other thing is I talked about, we dropped 50 major features last year 50. This isn't like a radial button or like a new list view. This is now you can run ads on Facebook and you couldn't before. Like major. And so again thinking about that wave and that sweet spot like when I talk to a customer and they're like, "Oh, we didn't know you did that." It literally hurts my soul. Like a little piece of my soul <laughs> dies. And so I just think if if I can Make sure that maybe not every customer is going to use every one of the 50 new features, but gosh, if they can use at least 20 or 30 and then go rave about it, that's the best money I can spend.
0: Because that takes them into the dark funnel, dark social.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's just, and I think with the dark funnel there, that's one of the things that we do is uncover that. So you can start to see those, you start to see intent data and you start to see it so, so I don't think it's, I I have the numbers to show. And then the other, we sell change, not software. And so we invest a lot in peer-to-peer communities. So some of them are our own that we've created. So we have a CMO coffee talk, 1200 B2B CMOs get together all the time in real time. And then every week to cover what they think is the most pressing topic. The topics are all crowdsourced. and it's not always related to Sixth Sense. In fact, sometimes, often it's not. We have to build up our our people, the people that need to go and make the change, and they need to learn from each other. And so we invest in, again, owning and creating those as well as investing in other ones, like reinvest in Pavilion and, and a bunch of other things that... Where we know our audience again, they we don't. I can't have our audience falling behind the wave, and so how do I make sure that they're staying fresh and and learning, and and people want to learn from each other?
0: And that's the whole point: is you want to be able to get those communities and the the, the comfort for people to have those dialogues and conversations. Yeah, you know, right now when you look out there, you got LinkedIn's working really well for a lot of companies, but at the same time, it's also becoming less attractive in, in some spaces. So what's next? For B2B marketers.
2: I think sometimes it, it feels good to believe that there's one thing that I can go and do. Yeah. And that's gonna like fix everything. And and maybe I'm just not smart enough or or whatever, but I have found in my career what separates great from just average is a lot of little things done every single day. And there's no one channel. Ideas are easy. And my team jokes, because I have a million ideas. I'm like every day, I'm like, have all these ideas. And most of them are terrible. And they know that. And they know they can tell me that. But when we do pick an idea, we execute it and we execute it very well. And a lot of people just don't do that. They don't do the like (laughs) day in and out day out basics and do a few things and do them really well. And so I think, yeah, channel diversity for sure is important. How do you think through that in conjunction of, again, just because you're paying money to advertise on Facebook or YouTube or whatever the new hot channel is, are the ads interesting? Do they go someplace interesting? Is there a good next step? Do you have a high value CTA? You know, like you have know, to think through all the things. And I think a lot of times people don't. There's no, I, I, if this were easy, everyone would do it.
0: <laughs> that was a fantastic conversation with an incredible CMO, Latini Kone. Provide us some really interesting insights, wonderful storyteller. And I love the analogies that she was able to share with us. And if you enjoyed this conversation and this episode, please make sure to leave us a five-star rating comment and share this with your friends and colleagues. We really appreciate your support and until the next time, stay well.